Hello and welcome back to How Do I Adult? This is episode four and we'll be talking all things money. Whether you like it or not, in the real world, you need money. Most of us need to pay for things like accommodation, utilities, food, transport, and the various other essentials to survive in today's society, as well as the fun, but ultimately less essential stuff. Money is something that everyone seems to hate talking about, and it can be a very touchy subject. And I can understand why. It's very easy to come across boastful or out of touch or complainy. Now, I'm hyper aware of the fact that neither me nor many of the people that I speak to in this episode have ever really faced the sort of money struggles that billions of people around the world do every single day. But that's not a reason not to talk about money. As long as we're aware of our situation and make every attempt to understand how lucky we are in many ways and check our privilege, I think money is something that is important to discuss honestly. And that is exactly what I'm hoping to do here. So on with the episode. So my parents, and probably my dad in particular, because he handles most of our finances, have been one of the main influences in the way that I look at money. And weirdly, one of their main areas of spending is probably me. They've helped subsidise me through the first 21 years or so of life, but now I'm graduated and I'm no longer getting money directly from them. For the first time in my life, I am financially independent. I feel a bit like Rachel in episode one of Friends, where she has to cut up her parents' credit cards in front of everyone. Welcome to the real world. It sucks. You're gonna love it. <laughs> God, I'm so relatable. Anyway, to kick off this episode, I spoke to my friend Eleanor, who, like me, graduated from university last year and is now living back at home with her parents. I spoke to her about being financially independent. Do you, th- do you think being financially independent is a big part of being a proper adult? I'd say so, yeah. I really don't like owing things to my parents. Mm. Like, at the moment, my dad keeps being like, oh, I'll like pay for you to come to this gym class with me, I'll pay for you to do this. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want you to because I don't. I think I've reached that age where I've had, had to be independent with my money. But now that I'm back home and they're kind of offering to do stuff, which is obviously nice, I just don't like feeling indebted to them. So I think it does make you feel more in control and like, yeah, as you feel more, you should. Whereas when you're younger, like obviously you don't have any way of financing yourself. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, whereas now, because it's possible, it feels stupid that like he's going to pay for that when I can afford it. Do you think a pride thing? I don't know. I don't know. I just, I've, I don't know. Maybe it is, but I, d- I don't know whether it's just because of guilt, because I know how much money they've given me, like, they've paid for me to, like, go on trips with school, and, like, when you add it up, it's I ridiculous, like, and I just, I think it. it's more of a guilt thing, and, like, they've helped me out with things at uni, and obviously now they're helping me out with, with a car. So when, realistically, when can you see yourself being financially stable? Oh. Sorry, not stable, independent. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Well... As soon as you've got a job that you can keep, see yourself being in for yeah. a few years and you can't, you're paying rent in a house that you can afford and whatever <laughs> and you're not at home anymore. I don't know. But then for me, because I want to go travelling, that kind of postpones that yeah, a couple of years. 
I'd probably be like 25. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I hope, hopefully like 23. Now, financial independence is something that I also talked about to my friend, Laura. I'm starting to wonder whether being financially independent is the sign of being a proper adult. Would you consider yourself an adult if you're still receiving an allowance from your parents? I guess not. I mean, in the sense of money. You have to be like financially independent when you're like a proper adult. Like I wouldn't have a job and still get money from my parents. The reason my parents fund me at the moment is because I need them to survive. Because I can't earn money. So I guess if you're an adult, you wouldn't have money from your parents. Because you'd be like funding yourself. But in 2020, when the cost of living can be so high and wages so low, it can be difficult to stand on your own two feet for young people. Dan, who owns his own house and considers himself financially independent, reckons that it's okay to rely on other people for money when you need it. Do you think you've got to be financially independent to be an adult? No. No. You can always rely on people. People rely on people for everything. Money is one of those subjects, it's one of those things. Brides rely on their fathers for money for their weddings. She's getting married, that's like adulthood you're relying on someone there no it's always good to rely on people so yeah i guess a lot of us have a lot to thank our parents for financially for getting us up and running so i wanted to ask my parents how they handle their finances i described them as being pretty careful with money i mean they're about the only people i know in 2020 to still keep every single receipt to double check it against their bank statement uh, so they seem like the ideal people to ask about money management i started off by asking them if they budget do you use your budget? You don't? No, we don't. Not really. So how do you manage your money? Um, I we... own it and mum spends it. <laughs> uh, how the 1950s would be proud. But at the moment, or previously, we didn't spend as much as we earn. So we, 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 do, we don't budget, but we are careful with money. We don't spend willy-nilly. We don't buy loads of materialistic things. But since I've been retired... I think we are going to have to budget a bit more because um, we're spending on coffee we shops. We are spending so a bit through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> so you could start spending more than you earn now. We could be, could be, because yeah. easily. So we have to look at that. First of all, big up my mum for bringing back the phrase "willy nilly," but also, it surprised me that my parents don't budget, especially given that my dad is an accountant and therefore a lover of a good spreadsheet. But I guess they've both worked in the same or similar jobs for many years now and know roughly the sort of lifestyle that they can afford on their salaries. So maybe it makes sense. I also asked this question to a few other people. Do you budget? No. No. <laughs> no, that is shit. I'm not brilliant at budgeting. So clearly my mum and dad aren't alone in their approach. But should we be budgeting? This is a question I put to B. Duncan, who recently presented an 18-part podcast series for the BBC called Money 101 in which she learned all about personal finance from a variety of money experts, as well as speaking to regular people about their experience. I asked her whether we should be budgeting, and if so, what's the best way we can keep track of our spending? When it comes to budgeting, just being aware of where your money is coming out is the first thing, and it's probably the most important thing, actually, because budgeting isn't going to work for everyone, and there are so many different ways of doing budgeting. And if you're choosing a method which actually isn't going to work for you and which you don't find enjoyable, you're not going to do it well. Um, so there's not really any point. But I think the first step is 
finding out where your money goes. And actually, I spoke to one person who recommended spending maybe a month or two doing a money diary. So she wrote down every single purchase that she made over a, a month or two basis, then went and had a look and saw where she was overspending or underspending or where she was frequenting, like the places she was going a lot. And also where you're prioritising your spending. So my thing is I always, I don't go out very much um, and like spend lots and lots of money. I know people who go out and will have like a hundred pounds big night out um, where I will go and really kind of make sure that I'm buying the cheapest drinks and place with the cheapest entry, which means I can spend a little bit more on um, kind of coffees or the things that I enjoy like gigs. I don't spend money on maybe cigarettes where somebody might spend quite a lot of money so I can spend a little bit more on something else. Um, so that's the way that I've kind of been doing it. And I think that's the majority of the advice that I've got is just, it's about finding the method that's best for you. So even if you're not sat with your weekly spreadsheet of what you've spent down to the penny, it's useful to know what you're spending and what your spending habits are. And then you can see whether that aligns with what you value and what you get value from. Now, I guess you could argue that not needing to budget puts you in quite a fortunate position. But I also think that managing money is something that quite often comes with experience. And if you've got the self-control to live within your means without managing every single transaction, then you're probably doing okay. Unless, of course, you're deep in debt, right? So I reckon I had about two or £3,000 worth of debt. Oh, uh, never mind. So this is my sister, Catherine, who is 27 now, so is a few years further on than me into this whole adult preparation period. And she's also, thankfully, no longer in debt. But like many people leaving university, she had a fat overdraft to pay off. So I wanted to know how she did it. You know, I, I went from nothing because I was not working to then getting an income. So I sort of, I could start to budget to see, I knew that it, I wasn't going to pay off straight away, but I started seeing it kind of slowly decreasing. Um, what I had to be careful of was that my lifestyle didn't increase at the same rate that it was decreasing, um, which was quite difficult because I felt like I had more money, but I also had to pay off some stuff from before so I couldn't actually kind of you know do more things yet um and that was the one thing that was hard because my a lot of my friends from university had been out working for two years already so they already they'd already gone through this sort of paying off phase that I was going through and already had more money the first episode of B's money podcast was titled peer pressure and it looked at how it can be harder to manage what we're spending when there can be a social expectation to be going out and socialising or wearing new outfits, things that cost money. So this was another aspect of money management that I wanted to ask B about. There is a pressure, I think, psychologically when you're in your 20s or whatever, to be having fun all the time. And I think it's difficult because everyone's in such different stages in their life. You've got some friends who are still in uni, but you've got other friends who are in full-time jobs and getting paid really loads and loads of money. But no one actually really talks about it and talks about the differences that most friendship groups have. And so everyone feels like they're trying to keep up, which involves spending lots of money, when they can't necessarily do it and because they're not kind of willing to speak about it and say, hey, I'm kind of struggling with this. Or I'm struggling to go out all the time. So as well as the obvious impacts on our mental health, trying to fit in as a 20-something in 2020 can be quite a drain on your wallet. But let's check back in with Catherine and see how the financial management is going now that she's paid off a student overdraft. Do you budget? Uh, yeah. So I know what my outgoings are each month. So I know how much I have left. 
Um, and then I'm with First Direct, who have um, a pretty good application for um, banking. Um, I've also got, I can't remember what it's called. I've got a um, an app on my phone which allows me to see what I've, or like I put in what I've spent money on each month and start noticing any patterns. Um, Do you use it? Sometimes. I don't use it massively because I'm generally okay at, at making sure that I mm. sort of making sure that I spend quite consistently. Um, I'm starting to save money now. So now I've paid off my dad and I've got a pay rise. Um, I plan to save £700 a month. Oh, someone's doing well. <laughs> anyway, savings is something else I want to talk about, actually. Having savings can be massively reassuring if you're struggling with money. And here's my friend Peter discussing the topic of savings after he just told me he'd opened a new savings account. Well, technically an ISA, I think. But I mean, I'm no Martin Lewis. It doesn't really mean a lot to me. I'm guessing the fact that you've just opened an ISA suggests you do have savings. I, I have some savings, indeed. I think, yeah. I'm quite lucky in that regard. I'm an only child. And I, on my dad's side of the family, I'm the only child. Which is nice in a way, because it means there's no other grandchildren to compete with when it comes to pocket money yeah or inheritance and things like that what are the saving what do you plan to use the savings for i don't really know it's just nice it's i think it's nice to have them there like my ideal version of a life is i don't want much all i want is to be stable financially stable where i know that i don't have to worry like yeah something goes wrong it's i've got enough money to deal with it okay like, i don't want to be rich i mean i would like to be rich <laughs> like i wouldn't like i don't need to be rich i just want to have enough to feel like I'm, you know, I'm secure and I'm not just living like one paycheck to the next because that would be a big fear, like having that dependency on your next paycheck. Yeah. So that's nice to have savings for just as a backup. So clearly Peter knows what his savings are there for, but I also wanted to get Bee's opinion on how important it is for us to have savings from what she's learnt. How important is it for us to save or to have savings, do you think? Oh, I think it's so important. And I think... Everyone in the back of their heads knows it's important, I think. Um, and also, obviously, there are kind of circumstances that might prevent you from being able to save. Um, and that's something that's important to recognise. But I think if you have the capacity to save and if you have, you know, money left over or you're, you're aware that you're spending money on frivolous things that you don't necessarily need, I think even just having that couple of quid in a savings account it's a security blanket at the end of the day because you never know what's gonna happen ever you don't know whether you're gonna you know smash your phone tomorrow or whether you know your washing machine is gonna break or if you have a car your car's gonna break down or whatever it is you need to be able to have that money there so you can go do you know what this sucks but it's okay because I planned for this and most people that I spoke to did have savings of some description which I appreciate is a very privileged position to be in, especially at our age when many of them have never had a full-time job. But what about if you don't have savings or you want to save towards something like a deposit uh, to rent or buy a house or even just for a holiday? I asked a few different people what would be the first thing that they'd stop buying to save money. Let's start with my housemates, Libby and Ollie. What's the first thing they'd stop buying? Food out. Food lunch. out. <laughs> yeah, lunch. I quickly discovered that this was quite a recurring theme. This is what Laura had to say. I'd probably stop eating out. Really? I'd save a lot of money if I stopped eating out. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, really, I'd be loaded. It'd be great. 
Where, where where's your biggest spend on eating out? Probably Tesco meal deals. They're not exciting okay, food. Right. Just like buying lunch or like the university cafeteria. I like their paninis. And the same question for Dan. I'd stop eating out. That is the only thing I spend my money on is eating out. Probably do that three, four times a week. Really? Yeah. Is it like restaurants or like takeaways? Restaurants. And oh, actually my lunch for work. For work. You always get your lunch out? Meal deal, yeah. Who'd have thought meal deals had so much to answer for when it came to taking all our money? And finally, this is what my sister had to say. At coffee, I keep doing this, or lunch at work. I've started, I've been quite good recently, so I've started taking a mug of coffee with me in the morning so I don't buy one when I get in, because sometimes I used to buy one on the way in. And then lunch at work as well. If I pre-make lunch at the start of the week and take it in with me, that saves me a lot of four or five pounds every day to get a sandwich. So I think that adds up quite quickly. Literally every single person I asked about where they would save money said they'd stop buying food, or especially lunch, out. I find this interesting, and not just because I currently work in a sandwich shop, so if everyone stopped buying their lunch out, I'd have no job. But also because, as a few people said, the lunch is often just a meal deal, which is like £3, maybe 4 if you get a fancy one or a snack. But let's say making your own lunch costs you a quid in ingredients. So you'd save £2 a day, which is £10 over the working week by bringing your own lunch every single day. This definitely adds up, you know, it's, that's like £500 a year. But surely we could save more money elsewhere. So according to the Office for National Statistics in 2016, the average UK household spent just 7% of their total weekly expenditure on eating out. So maybe we could save more by trying to reduce our spending somewhere else. Like cancelling that rarely used gym membership or walking instead of driving. Transport costs apparently accounted for about 14% of an average UK household spending. But to be fair, when I asked my sister how she could save money, she did also say this. One of the other things I thought about doing was cycling to work instead of driving. Um, I think if I even if I did it two days a week, it would save me. It's only a 20-minute journey there and back. But it would save me on fuel, I think. And you, and you could cancel your gym membership. I potentially could cancel my gym membership, although it's more weights. Right. So unless I was weightlifting on my bike on the way to work. <laughs> <laughs> Sorted. It might also be worth pointing out here that Households in the lowest income bracket in the UK, you know, which are often young people like myself that were new to the working world, spend more than twice the proportion of their wages on food and drink than those in the highest income bracket. So maybe for us, reducing this might represent a bigger saving than the figures suggest. But this isn't a uni essay, so I'll stop boring you with stats. I wanted to ask B if she'd come across any useful ways of saving money that we've not already discussed. This is what she had to say. One of my top ways of saving, it's a bit of a strange one, but... I collect up all of my spare change. Um, and so I've got this massive tin in my room where I just put all of my spare change. And then every couple of months, I'll go to one of the big change sorters. And, you know, it's not massive amounts, but it's sometimes 50 quid or something. And that's 50 quid that you didn't even notice that you were saving. And I think the other thing is I've got my Monza account linked up to, again, save the spare change so it rounds up any purchase that I make to the nearest pound takes that money puts it in a separate pot um, and I just leave it alone and don't even think about it it's just the ways of doing it where you're not feeling like you're missing out on something because that's the worst when you're trying to save and you're having to take away money that you want to be spending on something but when you're doing it without even realizing it's the best it's the best feeling a lot of people said to me that money was something that they were concerned about when they looked towards their future 
And I wanted to know why this seems to be such a worry in our generation and whether things are getting better or worse for young people. A government study by the Resolution Foundation in 2019 found that when compared to 2002, people under 30 are now spending an average of £20 a week less on non-essentials like restaurants, takeaways, recreation, and we're also now spending £8 a week more on essentials like food, fuel and clothing. When you compare this to the over 65s, who are now spending £42 a week more than they did 17 years ago on non-essentials and £15 less on the essentials, many young people are actually less well off in real spending terms than the older generations. Younger people are having to spend more on basics and they've got less to spend on luxuries. So far from the stereotype of millennials wasting all their money on smashed avocado and booze, they're actually spending a lot more on things like rent and transport. But also, with the emergence of things like contactless, it's now a lot easier for us to part with our cash. So do we actually know what we're buying now that spending can be as passive as tapping your watch on a card machine? Something else I asked people was, what were the last three things you bought? Here's a selection of some of the answers. Luke's bought... HP sauce, a vegetarian breakfast and a coffee. iPhone. What number? 11. Like lunch the other day. A massive 14-inch pizza from Morrison's. Neck and back massager cushion. A breakfast pasty. And a hotel room. <laughs> so yeah, as expected, pretty variable. I also asked my parents on a day that just happened to be the day after their anniversary. Flowers, chocolate, a king-size duvet cover with matching pillowcases. Wow. <laughs> you guys know how to splash the cans. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. You bought a meal out last night. Yeah, we bought a meal out. We did. For you. Well, for us, but you came as a three-wheeler. A third wheel. Oh. I want to finish painfully explaining to my mum what third wheeling was. I asked them what was some money advice from their experience living as adults for, well, ages. What advice would you give to someone my age to do with handling money from your experience? Or your younger self, to be a cliché? <laughs> Know what your standard monthly outgoings are. Make sure you've got sufficient to cover those. Beyond that, it's down to yourself. Whether you want to spend it now to enjoy your life now or whether you want to think more towards the future in terms of saving for a house. or And from my own experience as well, start putting money into a pension as soon as you possibly can when you start earning. Mm. Because when you come to retire, you're going to get bug all from the state. So we definitely covered the importance of knowing your spending already in this episode. But surely 22-year-old me doesn't need to start worrying about a pension already. Well, apparently not, according to B, who says that we should start thinking about a pension as soon as we start working. But why bother thinking about retirement so early? And how do I even go about starting a pension pot? So if you're in a full-time job, the best thing about that is your employer has to put you into a workplace pension by law. Um if you're earning over a certain amount, but it's a very low amount that you're earning. So most people in a starting, you know, graduate job will be legally required to be in a pension. And generally how it works is you put in a certain amount of your money, so 2%, 3%, 5% or whatever, and then your employer will put in another bit. And that depends on your employer. Some people will put in, you know, 1% of your wage, other employers will like double match your contribution. So if you put in 5%, they'll put in an extra 10%. So you've got 15% of your wages going in, 10% of which you didn't need to pay for at all. Um, 
And the great thing about that and the reason why I would encourage people when they're younger to do it is it's basically free money. You're never really going to be in a position, again, once you stop working, where your employer is just going to be like, here's some money for you for free, take it. But I think you just have to tell yourself you're going to do it and not think about it. So when I first started my job, I worked out how much I was going to be getting after tax and VAT and everything. And I just took out my contribution. So I don't even think about it. I don't even consider that it exists. But I think it's just so important to get into the habit now because then actually you can start, when you get older, you can probably start decreasing your contributions because you've already built up a massive amount when you were younger. Buzzing. So legally, we should automatically be opted in to a workplace pension scheme. And free money, what's not to love? But you also mentioned to me that if your company has one, you should speak to the human resources or finances team because they should be able to advise you more about what they can offer. So from everything that B has learned about money and the research and conversations she did for her podcast series, I asked her if there was one thing, one tip that stood out to her about money and how we can be better at it. And this is what she said. We had an episode on credit scores. And oh my gosh, my mind was blown. Credit scores are like the most important thing. No one talks about credit scores. I talk about them all the time now. Um, yeah, credit scores. Check your credit score. Um, it takes literally five minutes. Uh, it's free. You can set up an alert which gets you to check it every month. Your credit score is used for literally everything. Like trying to when you want to get a loan for something when you want to get a mortgage when you sometimes when you rent um you get your credit score checked and I think it was some stat that was like young people are more likely to know their uber rating than their credit score when actually they're quite similar your uber rating you know you need to know it because you that's why you might not get picked up as much or you might be charged a little bit more it's the same thing with a credit score. You might not get a loan or you might get charged more for a credit card because of your credit score. And building a credit score is actually a lot easier than you think, but you have to know that there's a problem before you start to build it. Um, so that was one. But then I think the overarching thing was just about talking about money. And so many people feel uncomfortable talking about how much they earn or how much they pay for rent or whatever it is, how much they have in their savings. But if we don't talk about it with each other, we're not going to feel comfortable when there's a problem to go and speak to somebody. Um, and money problems is kind of the number one cause of marriage and relationship breakdown. It can cause problems with your families, with your friends. And I think just feeling more comfortable talking about it with each other is the best way that we can start to get a healthier relationship with money. Because I've heard people before, you know, they finally pluck up the courage to talk to their colleagues about how much they earn. And they were found out that they were being underpaid. Same with rent. You don't know if you're being massively ripped off. If you don't speak to friends who live in the same area. So talking about money, being open about money is really, really important. I'm not saying you should go about and start bragging to people about how much you get paid and how much, how many savings you have and all of this sort of stuff. But yeah, just be open and speak to your friends and family. So there we have it. Episode four. I know money isn't always the most rock and roll or sexy topic to talk about, but it is so important to do so and to understand it so we're not all bankrupt by the age of 28. 
I want to say a massive thank you for everyone that appeared on this episode and especially to B, who I spoke to over Skype. If you want to hear more about her podcast, Money 101, you'll find it on BBC Sounds. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be dead grateful if you give it a review or a good rating. Maybe recommend it to a friend that you think might enjoy it. Next week, we are talking technology. I hope I will see you then.